macOS Big Sur has just gone into public beta. So if you're considering test driving it before the general release later this fall, wow, but this is the video for you. Sponsored by Skillshare. I'm Rene Ritchie, and for everything you need to know about Big Sur and Apple Silicon, hit the subscribe button and bell right now. You can sign up for the macOS Big Sur and any of Apple's other software testing programs at beta.apple.com. Just remember, beta really means beta. They can be stable, and they can be a complete mess, and they can switch back and forth between the two in the blink of a build. So use a secondary machine and make sure you back it up just in case you decide you don't like it and want to back right out again. macOS Big Sur runs on any 12-inch MacBook, the MacBook Air and MacBook Pro from 2013 or later, the Mac Mini and iMac from 2014 and later, the iMac Pro, and the Mac Pro from 2013 and later. The moment you boot up into macOS Big Sur, you know pretty much everything you need to know about it. The profile picture is bigger. The password field is rounder. The Mac has just never looked more like the iPad. And yet, and yet, the startup time is back. It's back. No terminal command needed. Wally would just be so proud. And I think that's why Big Sur was chosen as the name for macOS 11. And yeah, Apple has finally taken the Mac to 11, rimshot.wave, but Big Sur was chosen because it melds the beauty of the coast with the power of the mountains. That power represents the Mac's upcoming transition away from Intel and AMD Silicon to Apple's own custom systems on a chip, similar to what they use in the iPhone and the iPad. It's gonna complete a common shared architecture across Apple's major product lines. And that's what the beauty part represents. The redesign meant to bring that shared architecture some commonality. Now, depending on your own predilections, you can choose hashtag team common architecture with the new colorful iOS-like wallpaper, or you can choose hashtag team it's a Mac, damn it, and go with a more traditional scenic wallpaper showing Big Sur. But that's all the background. The foreground, regardless, is moving decidedly forward. For example, where the Mac has always had a short but substantial menu bar and iOS a tall but transparent status bar, Big Sur just blurs the boundaries with the taller, translucent menu bar. And... Maybe it'll grow on me, but even a month in, I still find it all shades of bitsier, and I'd love an option to just reopaque it up all over again. The dock floats now, like on iOS, and is also more translucent, like on iOS, but that doesn't bother me at all. Even the icons are more like iOS. Hell, they're just like iOS. Gone are the circles and angled rectangles and irregular shapes that, frankly, made the Mac the Mac. And in their place are the super ellipses straight out of the iPhone and iPad. And I get it. I do, really. With iPhones and iPad apps coming to Apple Silicon Macs, this will let Mac apps sit beside them, nearly identically, on that new dock. But at the cost of what gave the Mac so much of its identity, its personality. I mean, the watch has circles, TV has rounded rectangles, and the Mac now has just exactly the same as the iPhone and iPad. And again, I get it. I just mourn it especially because it's still kind of inconsistent. Some of those icons are almost as flat as iOS. Some have a richness like previous versions of macOS. And some are just puffy. And I'm trying really, really hard not to look at messages and FaceTime right now. And they know it. Hopefully that all gets cleaned up by launch and we get icon elevations as shared as the upcoming architecture. Now, 
I love the full height sidebars, the new share sheets, and the extra padding in all the controls, how it makes everything look and feel more spacious. I love the roundedness as well. You can argue it's too round, too iOS-like, but that's clearly the goal with Big Sur, and the execution is aces, and the lightness the lightness of the interface in general. It's a combination of all of those tweaks and it just makes macOS feel like it took a nice deep breath of fresh pixels. That includes the new symbol library, which brings a little color and a lot of recognizability and consistency to glyphs and in-app icons, hopefully for upcoming third-party apps as well. Also the sound design, which takes the essence of the existing, familiar Mac tones, but reimagines and remasters them in a way that just makes everything old feel new and delightfully attention-getting again. Now yes, some people have said the redesign is to make the interface more finger-friendly in anticipation of touchscreen Macs, or take the sharp corners away before the upcoming augmented reality revolution, or just that Apple is really finally merging the Mac with the iPad. And I say, ¿Por qué no los dos? Or no, ¿Por qué no los tres? Kidding. A little. Because right now, it can be whatever you want it to be. Eventually, though, it will be whatever Apple wants and needs it to be. But I am going to reiterate this part. Apple doesn't see the Mac or the iPad for that matter as a collection of parts, as custom silicon and rounded corners. They see them as products, both incredibly successful products, businesses most other companies would trade their left C-level executive for. And beyond crunchy, chewy, emotional stuff, until one of those businesses starts to slide significantly, there's just no way Apple as a company is going to give up the revenue streams from either of them. But they are going to make them more efficient and, yes, more consistent for them to streamline development and for customers to streamline adoption, for developers to allow iOS, Catalyst, and AppKit apps to all sit beside each other and look like part of the same family, and to abuse the old Steve Jobs analogy, a truck can have most of the same components and comforts of a car, should have, in point of fact, but also still a flatbed and towing capacity. Some will end up being more like SUVs, some more like Optimus Prime, but they're all still trucks. And like the Phil Schiller doctrine says, the iPad team's literal job is to make the iPad so good, people don't think they need a Mac. And the Mac team's job is to then make the Mac so much better, it's clear why you still need that Mac. This is the fresh coat of paint on them doing exactly that. Control Center came to the iPhone and iPad with their big iOS 7 redesign, and now it's coming to the Mac with Big Sur's. It's almost like Control Center demands a redesign in its contract writer. And anyway, it looks a lot like Control Center on the iPad, but behaves more like you'd expect on the Mac. It drops down from the menu bar to give you access to all your major toggles and settings. Things like wireless connections, displaying keyboard brightness, accessibility and battery settings, do not disturb, and more. And you can click to bring up even additional options. Like the iOS control center, you can also customize it to have just exactly the controls you want in it. And none of the ones you don't. You have to go to system preferences, dock and menu, and the options in there aren't anywhere nearly as rich as the ones in iOS. Again, at least not yet. Like there's nothing for Apple TV remote or screen recording or any of a half dozen other more additional things that I'd hoped and expected. Now, there is some really cool Macity Mac stuff here as well. I love how you can pin the controls you use most often right to the menu bar. 
the ones for whom being even a click and drop away is just too far away. You can make them as instantly accessible as ever, just with far, far more customizability and expandability. Big Sur has the same new cross-platform SwiftUI-based widgets as iOS 14. Based on the watch complications, they look terrific. The information density is terrific. The glanceability is terrific as well, but they're just a huge step down when it comes to interactivity. And that's especially noticeable and lamentable on the Mac. For example, over the last few versions of macOS, it's become just second nature, basically muscle memory for me to swipe out the calculator, use it, and then swipe it away again. And now that's just gone. The calculator is gone. All a widget can do if you tap on it is deep link you into specific part of an app. So if I want to calculate, I have to launch the actual calculator app, like an animal. Likewise, there's a gorgeous new podcast widget, but you can't use it to actually control podcast playback. You can just deep link into the podcast or podcasts that you're playing back. To play or pause, you have to go to Control Center, which my upper brain totally understands, but my lower brain just keeps going, why can't click? If this is the new normal, then I'll be sad but I'll also admit the execution for specifically that is pretty terrific. Scroll down and click on edit at the bottom and you go to the full screen widget gallery where you can add, remove, and otherwise customize your widgets. Again, it looks like iOS, but works like the Mac. Instead of swiping between small, medium, and large widgets, you click on the size chart. When you're finished, just hit the escape key or click the done button at the bottom right. The best part, at least for me, is that notifications have been merged with the widgets now onto a single panel, and they've gotten the recent iOS-style groupings and organizations. They sit on top of the widget stack, so one swipe takes you to everything you need to see. I covered many of the new Safari features in my iOS 14 and iPadOS 14 preview videos last month, simply because those public betas launched last month. And I don't wanna be overly duplicative here, so I'll just link to everything in the description. But I do wanna cover the things that make Safari on the Mac so important, and in many ways, so forward thinking on the Mac. It's faster and more power efficient than ever, which is no surprise given speed and power efficiency have just always been the priority with Safari. Since Steve Jobs told Don Melton and his team to focus on that some 20 years ago this summer. And that's on Intel with T2. I can't wait to see how fast and efficient it gets on Apple's own silicon. Speaking of which, Optimized battery charging, which holds the charge level at 80% when you're plugged in for extended periods of time, is now enabled by default on all Thunderbolt 3 MacBooks Air and Pro. You can turn it off if you want to, but it's there by default. You can also get battery usage graphs going back 24 hours and 10 days now. There are more ways to personalize the start page on Safari. So if you live on the web even more than you do your desktop, you can still have your favorite background picture here now, not just there. You can control what you have immediate access to on the start page as well, including favorites, reading list, iCloud tabs, series suggestions, privacy reports, whatever you want. Just click on the settings icon at the bottom right of the start page to check, uncheck, and wallpaper it your way. Now, I've said this part before, but I'm gonna say it again because I think it's just critical for the future of the web. Browsers work off standards, but the various browser companies interpret those standards in their own way typically in the way that best suits those companies. For example, Apple has a huge native app platform, a couple of them, so they tend to let the web be the web. Other companies, not so much, so they push for the web to act more native. 
Because of Google's influence on the web, a lot of web developers now code for Chrome instead of the open web, just like they used to code for Internet Explorer. It's understandable, but it's also detrimental. And I hope open web advocates inside Google and in the developer community can understand and help avoid the long-term consequences of a trend like that. Apple, for their part, is also continuing to make Safari a first-class web experience. But they've become pragmatic enough to realize they also need to bend if they're going to prevent too many things from breaking. So they've added support for the Web Extension API, which means developers can bring extensions they've written for other browsers to Safari. And Safari users now gain access to all the extensions they bring over. But Apple being Apple, they've also added an extra layer of privacy into their web extension support. You can choose to run an extension just once, just for a specific website, or always. You can now see more tabs on the screen at once as well. And fave icons are finally on by default. Hover over a tab and you'll get a preview of the page. It all makes switching between tabs faster and more accurate. But if you have a Touch Bar Mac, that's still the fastest way to scrub through all your tabs. Yeah, I said it. Safari and WebKit on the Mac gain access to 4K HDR YouTube. You have the thanks of a grateful YouTube nation. There's support for WebP images, though not yet WebM video. There's also no Translate app for the Mac the way there is for the iPhone. But translation is now built into Safari, and there's only seven languages so far. English, Spanish, Simplified Chinese, French, German, Russian, and Brazilian Portuguese, but hopefully more to come. There's a new web authentication API and security code autofill, and there's new privacy reports, which show you all the trackers being blocked for the last 30 days. You also get reports for every website you visit. It's terrific, and I love that some websites and developers are already using it to show off their zero tracker reports as points of pride. Now, some people are casting this feature as Apple versus the ad industry and worrying about what it means for the future of monetization on the web including people who usually do nothing but complain about all the ads they see on the web. But, internet, whatever. For me, it all just comes down to disclosure and consent. I have zero problems with advertising on the web, obviously. Prior to going indie a few months ago, I worked for an ad-supported web network for a decade. I use YouTube now, and I don't think Apple has a problem with it either, because guess what? Apple advertises on the web and uses YouTube now as well. I think all of us just think websites and advertisers should tell us what they're tracking and let us choose to opt in or opt out based on that information, disclosure, and consent. If it's a good business with good business practices, I don't imagine anyone doing it will be angry or upset about what they're doing getting an Apple-sized spotlight. If anything, it'll make web advertising a better, more upfront, more honest business for everyone. And that would be a huge win for everyone. The year one Catalyst proof of concept apps were not great. Maybe the technology wasn't really ready. Maybe they picked the absolute wrong apps to try to prove the concept with. But they just felt like iPad apps hot dumped onto the Mac, not iPad apps reborn on the Mac. The year two Catalyst beta apps were better. Apple Podcasts and UIKit was almost indistinguishable from Apple TV and AppKit. Neither was amazing, but it was a big step forward for Catalyst. Swift Playgrounds, well, that was a legit leap. Now, year three Catalyst transition apps are pretty damn great in general. So pretty damn great, Apple's willing to trust the technology with one of their most important apps, Messages. 
an app that has been languishing behind the iOS version for over half a decade. Now though, on Catalyst, it's not only catching up, it's getting pretty much everything from the latest iOS version as well. Effects, Memoji, even the brand new group messaging features like mentions and inline replies. All of it, it's terrific. It even gets to keep Mac exclusive features like screen sharing. And maybe, just maybe, Apple will send that one back to iOS as well. Please and thank you. Maps is now Catalyst also, and getting caught up with the features like favorites, indoor maps, ETA, and look around, and all the new stuff, same as the iOS versions, including guides, cycling directions, EV and congestion routing. You can see my iOS preview for a rundown of everything new in messages and maps. Because it's a lot, but it's great for Mac users because we get all these features now day and date with the iPhone and iPad. It's even better for Apple and developers because it means they have to live on these frameworks for these apps. And that's one hell of an incentive to fix them fast and make them truly fantastic. Many of the new iOS 14 security and privacy features are coming to Big Sur as well. That includes privacy information on the App Store. So. Like nutrition labels on food, you can see exactly what you're getting and what they're getting from you in an app. And that includes the data they're collecting about you, like usage, contacts, location, and who, if anyone, they may be sharing that data with, like Facebook or Google, third party at all. Big Sur's system volume is now cryptographically signed. That's to further reduce attack vectors and so that it can be verified against a known good state which means Big Sur can handle portions of future upgrades in the background. So it takes less time when it comes to install and reboot. Hurrah. Also in the App Store, family sharing now lets you share in-app purchases and subscriptions from any app that allows it. And Game Center has a new in-game dashboard, new achievement section, and new leaderboards. It's a terrific relaunch for a feature that just hasn't gotten enough attention recently. For accessibility, if FaceTime detects someone is using sign language, it'll make them more prominent so you can more easily see the signs. Notes is getting the new collapsible pin section, top hits in search, and enhanced scanning thanks to continuity camera, which uses your iPhone to snap documents into your Mac. There are new bilingual dictionaries for French to German, Indonesian to English, Japanese to simplified Chinese, and Polish to English. 20 new and 18 updated fonts for India, and localized messages animations for India. So you get confetti when you send Happy Holly in Hindi now, too. In Reminders, you can now assign tasks to people on shared lists. There are smart suggestions for dates and locations, and suggestions from mail. And, of course, improved emoji support to make lists far, far more glanceable. And if that's not enough to truly satiate your inner productivity guru, well, then you can use the time between now and this fall's general release to seriously escalate your effectiveness with Thomas Frank's new Skillshare course. In it, Thomas shows you how to build sustainable habits without feeling like a failure, which honestly has always happened to me. Management has just become something else to manage. He goes through his research, his experience, and his own trial and error, and lays out the groundwork for lasting habits, which is just so important right now when many of us are wondering what's going on, what's even happening next, and are looking for ways to create some sort of structure, meet some small set of goals, so we can regain some sense of control and accomplishment in this world. Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning, with classes that explore illustration, design, photography, video, freelancing, and more, with real projects to create, and a support of fellow creatives. 
Skillshare is designed to move your creative journey forward without putting your life on hold so you can learn and grow with short classes that fit your busy routines and affordably with an annual subscription that's less than $10 a month. Join more than 7 million creators learning with Skillshare and the first 1,000 of you who click on the link in the description will get two months of Skillshare Premium for free. Act now and start learning today. Thanks Skillshare and thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Check out my Mac playlist for more and see you next video.